All right. So I have clearly taken a substantial break from podcasting. Apologies to anybody who was depending on my consistency doing this. I just need some time, obviously, for my own mental health. But also, I don't want to be a shill. You know, like, I feel like, honestly, most of the reason why I started this stupid podcast was as a hobby to keep myself mentally sane and to share information I thought might be worthwhile. And I never really wanted to get caught in the trap of weekly episodes of just, you know, either fear porn or just absolute BS that's of no value to people, right? So, you know, for the purpose of my own mental health, maybe for the purpose of other people's mental health, sort of been chillaxing. I think a lot of people understand, you know, where I'm at with news, you know, where the world is at, blah, 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 blah. Interest rates, take a shot, da, 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 da. So to surmise things, I'm just going to, you know, I, I think I need to be a bit more organized in how I'm, I'm going about the structure of this podcast. So I'm going to try to do like Monday morning shows to explain like what I'm looking at, right? So um, there's going to be a couple topics I'm looking at, you know, news-wise, economic-wise for Monday, uh, I mean, for the week, I, I guess. And uh, that's how uh, I'm, I'm going to start breaking this up. I should also add one thing. I am looking for co-hosts. Um, so uh, if you are looking to participate in a podcast, I am going to be working with some different formats that's going to be coming out soon. I do have some potential co-hosts um, like scheduled for some episodes that are going to be video based. So uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. Also, I don't know why I never say this, but man, like subscribe like support this podcast any way you can if you fuck with me um I, sh- I should probably bleep that part out but you know what i'm trying to say here man support your bro so let's begin with my favorite word inflation uh so Professional estimates right now are saying that inflation may be peaking out. Uh, recent reports by Stats Canada said Canadian inflation is around 8.1%. Uh, in the U.S., inflation is closer to about 9.1%. And uh, a lot of economists and analysts are sort of thinking that we're seeing now a slowdown in the rate of growth of inflation. Right. So not exactly that inflation has peaked, but that the growth of it, growth of it rather may be slowing down, uh, which obviously is a good thing for a myriad of reasons. Um, If inflation is slowing down, that's obviously very good for central banks um, not being forced to further increase interest rates by something as egregious as 100 basis points. So um, a slowdown in the rate of increase of inflation is definitely something good. That being said, it's not that we have actually seen a slowdown in the rate of inflation. It's just that people are making an assumption right now with policy rate moves that have been made, especially by the BOC, right, that we're getting closer now uh, marginally, you know, from that 2.5 overnight lending rate to uh, where we're at in terms of 8.1 inflation. So still, you know, experiencing real negative interest rates if you sort of consider where inflation is right now and obviously where that rate is um however you know you can obviously hope that the rate of inflation slows down and then therefore like i said you know the bank of canada can sort of chill out 
Now, the housing market is still getting shellacked. I'm hearing reports of um, prices actually dropping in the range of 20% in high volume areas for real estate, uh, sorry, residential real estate. So like Fraser Valley over in British Columbia or, you know, the uh, Toronto proper area, obviously in Ontario. So obviously with interest rates being where they are, um, if you also consider, you know, the stress test domestically, um, sort of making you qualify at about two percentage points above what the current uh, prime rate is. It's sort of really kicking out a lot of new entrants into the real estate market. So obviously we're seeing a slowdown in the velocity of sales to the point now where we're actually seeing a slowdown in like, sorry, to the point now where we're actually seeing a drawdown in the actual price and valuation of homes. We're also seeing a lot of individuals who are asset holders of real estate actually begin to delist. That is obviously having an effect on inventories. Inventories are obviously going to have an effect on on prices. Is obviously it's a measure of supply and demand, right? So, um, yeah. Just in summary, the Canadian real estate space is really, really, really taking a shellacking, right? And one thing I actually wanted to focus on, right, is that many an analyst, you know, had actually spoken about how the real crisis to Canadian real estate and, you know, in general, uh, the Canadian economy would be exogenous. So like basically stating that, you know, for the most part, there's are there are some risks and some headwinds in the Canadian economy, specifically pertinent to Canadian real estate. However, real risk actually exists outside of Canadian borders. And if there were to be an economic crisis, that it would be spurred by an exogenous threat. So something happening outside of the country. Because of that, I think we should really be paying attention to what's happening currently right now in China and um, what's happening in terms of some of their largest lenders like Evergrande defaulting on their debt and some of their other large um, uh, mortgage-backed lenders or some of the other large uh, lenders essentially having real issues right now with some of their borrowers. Um, there's literally actually some boycotts happening in China right now where people are refusing to pay their mortgages. To be quite frank, I don't have the most color on the actual scenario itself. There's an individual on YouTube named Mark Mitchell, a mortgage broker in London, Ontario, who seems to actually have a pretty good eye on what's happening over in China. I, I think that's going to be hugely pertinent because if you really consider the Canadian real estate market, the Chinese uh, buyer is very important to the Canadian real estate market, right? So if there is any scenario where essentially there is some issue with Chinese capital, either causing capital flight or capital redemption that is going to have a significant effect on the Canadian real estate market. And again, like I said, domestically, when you consider the domestic buyers are being impaired by the current state of interest rates, um, I think that's going to be pretty significant to watch. To be quite frank, I think what we're going to start seeing soon is probably changes to how uh, policies are... We're probably going to start seeing some cha some changes to... Uh, policies um, pertinent to mortgages, right? So I would sort of think that in Canada, at some point or another, uh, because it, the impotence essentially, especially for Canadian politicians, is to protect the Canadian real estate market because something ridiculous like 64% of the GDP in Canada is actually consumer-based and actually comes from Canadian real estate. So it is literally the economic heart of Canada and it is of great interest 
for politicians to keep that side of the economy running, obviously not only for the economic health of Canadians, but also due to the fact that these are your voters, right? So um, I would think as we see more pressure in the real estate market that we are going to see some level of alteration of policy, whether that may be the stress test being taken away, whether that may be some other, you know, program to sort of figure out a way to make sure that we're getting a robust pipeline of buyers into the real estate market. I could probably see that coming pretty soon um, as, you know, the real estate owner is really like of true value in the Canadian market. So um, over in Europe with the whole Russia-Ukraine crisis, uh, the most recent news is that Russia has started to run gas through Nord Stream, um, through the Nord Stream pipeline again, rather, apologies for that. Um, that's going to be really good for the European market, specifically for Germany, to actually reduce the cost of energy. That should have a significant effect in quelling the rate of increase of inflation, because right now energy inflation is really what's actually bolstering a lot of global inflation, to be quite frank, because everything is attached, right? So, as we see more Russian energy facilitate the European market, I think that's actually going to be good on a global macro level because technically we should see um, prices of energy then sort of draw down to a bit more of like, well, to be honest, the price of energy is probably not going to go down to the levels that are, I was going to say sane, but we should see some pressure pulled back on the front of energy inflation now with uh, Nord Stream pushing gas back into the European market. So I wanted to talk about Sri Lanka for a second because I think that country is actually very economically important right now. <clears throat> and I'm not, I'm going to stop beating around the bush and I'm going to go directly um, for the neck in terms of what I want to talk about with Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka is a story of the developing world being manipulated by exogenous parties. What do I mean by that, right? So Sri Lanka obviously is a developing nation. In my opinion, right, it is a country that has a lot of intangible, uh, sorry, it has a lot of tangible value, right? So in terms of its geographic location, in terms of the resources available in the country itself, it has true value. And what I have learned being a former immigrant, right, is that generally what happens is that larger uh, countries that are more economically prominent essentially utilize developing countries as satellite states for their own benefits, right? So the thing is, um, Sri Lanka has a lot of really useful uh, like geographic points to it. So for example, um, where it's located is it's actually the deepest, uh, it's the largest deep sea port globally. It's also geographically located in an area, uh, I think, um, in the Indian Ocean or sort. Okay, basically what I'm trying to say here is that it has a lot of uh, um, geopolitical benefits as to where it's geographically located. You, you can essentially build a naval seaport where Sri Lanka is, and it will give you a lot of logistical ability as to where to maneuver your naval force, right? And then on top of that, there's obviously the resource benefits of actually Sri Lanka itself. And if you're able to be able to control that country, it's a, it's essentially like a major point of of uh, of of Movement. I don't want to say commerce or trade per se, but 
if you want to, you can turn it into a major point of commerce or trade, essentially because that port that it has, that deep sea water port is so valuable, right? So what I have seen um, being a former immigrant, right, um, coming from the third world or the developing world, right, is that countries in the developed world will essentially create um, economic agreements with despotic political leaders in the developing world that benefit um, that benefit the economies of those countries in the first world at the detriment of, of, of the citizens in the third world, right? Or in that developing nation. And Sri Lanka, for me, is the perfect case study of that, right? So why the government fell over, essentially, is because they had a corrupt government. Um, that's the story. They had like the, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to completely mess up their name, so I'm going to completely not say it. But there was a sitting family that was like the political leaders over in Sri Lanka, they were politically corrupt uh, and essentially the country fell over due to corruption to the point where they were not able to actually pay for gas imports and da -da 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 -da, things came to this nature. Actually, if you really want to look at the story of Sri Lanka, um, going back to what I was trying to say, they had corrupt politicians. The corrupt politicians made um, economic agreements with either countries um in the quote-unquote forced world or they made uh, economic agreements with uh paragovernmental ngos non-governmental uh, um, or organizations that essentially told them to operate like their economy in a certain way and in order to be able to have access to a line of credit so in the sri lankan example they essentially were told to um cut back emissions or something for from like their agricultural industry so what they chose to do was they actually chose to completely cut off importing um, fertilizer. So they tried to go completely organic in terms of their fertilizer and that completely destroyed their food crops. And that's why they're having a food crisis right now. Their economy, um, I, 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 I don't know enough as to why their currency was not strong enough and it fell over to the point where they're not able to make energy uh, purchases. But essentially, the government failed and they had been overthrown. The part that I think is important to watch right now is that it's still a tumultuous scenario in Sri Lanka right now. And somehow or another, there's been a new government installed, right? So I do not think that this is an, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, like a fairly elected government. Like I, I think what's happening right now is that you're seeing foreign powers install somebody that they think is going to be friend, uh, friendly or beneficial in terms of installing policies that are going to be worthwhile to them. And I think what we're going to see in Sri Lanka is something pretty similar to what happened in Greece during their economic crisis, where essentially you started seeing major aspects of Greek infrastructure being sold off to global entities, like their railways, like their seaports, to essentially the point now where a Greek citizen has no ownership over the, the, you know, the state of Greece itself, right? So I do think that's what's happening in Sri Lanka. I think it's very important to watch what's happening there as I think it's probably going to be a solid case study as what we're going to see unfolding in a lot of other nations, um, mostly in the developing world and maybe, maybe even in the developed world. Who knows? But again, Sri Lanka, definitely very interesting to watch.